Welcome to Wine for Normal People, the podcast for people who like wine, but not the snobbery that goes with it. I'm your host, Elizabeth Schneider, author of the Wine for Normal People book and certified wine dork. And I'm MC Ice, just a wine-loving normal person. This podcast is sponsored by Wine Access. Go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP. Check out what I'm drinking or go to wineaccess.com slash normal and join the wine club. Such amazing wine. Such a great deal. Listen in the middle of the show for more details. After two weeks of so much detail on Burgundy and the Cote de Nuit, I am ready for a change. I am ready for something different. Maybe a little bit easier. So like I thought the this, great miniseries might be a good way to get us back. So this is just the difference between red and white wines? Yes, okay. correct. But remember good. that I told you that I was going to get those black glasses and you would not be able to tell the difference between some red and white wines. Remember we talked about yes, that? Yes, yes. Yeah. I still need to do Where are the black that. glasses? Life gets in the way. It's just that well, kind of have thing. To have the kids color them. <laughs> They, they ruin everything else. They might as well ruin the wine glasses while they're, they're at it. Well, they do break them, so we've got that going for us. That. Yes. This week, we are going to move from France to Spain and Portugal, so the Iberian Peninsula, mm-hmm. to a grape called Mencia, or Mencia, if we were going to not do the so Castilian accent. That's Spanish. What about Portuguese? In Portuguese, it's Chayan. J-A-E-N. Well, that's not what I expected at all. I thought it would just be some kind of variant of Menthea. No, and so this is the really cool thing. So Menthea is a grape variety that's really almost exclusively in the Northwest Iberian Peninsula. Now, it is being experimented with in other places, It's hard to get numbers, but what I can tell you is there's about three and a half times the amount in Spain as there is in Portugal. Okay. Old data shows there's about 22,000 acres or 9,100 hectares in Spain and 2,500 hectares or 6,200 acres in Portugal. Is it also in the northern part of Portugal? It is. It's in the Dow. So it's it's all in the same region? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It used to be this very light, aromatic, young, local wine, high yields, really low complexity, grown on fertile plains for bulk wine. Mm-hmm. Like many things, a blessing and a curse, phylloxera came and wiped it almost all out wow. until the 1990s. There was almost none of the scrape left. Until the 90s? That late? The 80s or 90s. In the 90s was the revival. The, the next generation or new generation of winemakers started to look at the potential, especially of hillside vineyards. When we talk about the where, that's going to be a really important part of the show because this is sort of a mixed show. You can't really talk about Mencia without talking also about really special sites. But in the 90s, some of these winemakers started to look at hillside vineyards, impossibly steep hillside vineyards and old, old vines. And there were two in particular in Spain, Raul Perez and the uncle and nephew Alvaro Palacios and Ricardo Perez Palacios, not related to Raul. Perez is a very popular last name. And this was in specifically in an area called Bierzo. And they started to make single varietal wines out of Mentia. 
they started to really showcase what this variety had to offer and show the terroir. And that's when things got really exciting. So the main areas in Spain are Bierzo, Ribera Sacra, Valdeoras, and Monterrey. And then we have the Dao in Portugal. Okay. Those are the main areas. I've heard of Monterey and I've heard of Dow. I don't know that you've heard of Monterey. Uh, this is with an E-I. And oh. it's not, yes, we're not talking okay. about the place of the Great Aquarium, All the right. Cannery Row, mm-hmm. no, 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 or the place in Mexico. No, this is different. The origins of this grape are disputed because local people in Bierzo, this is the big place for the grape, think that since Bierzo has always been an important stop on the pilgrimage route from Northern Europe to, surprise, surprise, Santiago de Compostela, which we talk about all the time when we talk about Northern Spain, mm-hmm. because that's how Rioja and Rias Baixas with Albariño, the, a lot of these places gained prestige because of the pilgrims that were on this route. So this is yet another place where we see pilgrims coming. But the idea was that, okay, well, pilgrims probably brought Mencia from elsewhere, but that's probably not true. It's probably from the Iberian Peninsula because it's not found anywhere else. What kind of pilgrims are you talking about here? Some really awesome ones who would bring grapes from other places and be like, plant this here so that next year I can have these okay. wines. But not not necessarily the United States vision are, of Oh, no. Pilgrims. These are Catholic pilgrims, okay. and they like to drink, and they like to revel. We'll, we'll talk a bit about the history of almost all these regions. And guess who came and made all of these regions possible? The monks. The monks. Yeah. So, yes, this That's is... The monks a, or the Romans, one of the two. Well, both of them, right? Or Everybody, yeah, it's, a, it's always a tag team effort here. But originally people thought, okay, well, this must have come from the pilgrims, but we do know that this is native. Some people also thought at one point that it's related to Cabernet Franc, because if you look at Cabernet Franc, the aromatics are kind of similar. There's even a little bit of the green pepper notes sometimes, the body, the tannins, the acidity. It is not related at all to Cabernet Franc. There was also something in the Wine Grapes book, that big book by Jancis Robinson and Julia Harding and a bunch of others. It was thought to be native to Salamanca, but now people think maybe Mencia was brought from Portugal to Bierzo and other places on the way to Santiago de Compostela. In any case, all of the grapes that are around here came from either northern Portugal or they are native to Galicia in Spain. Bierzo is just outside of that, but we do think now it probably did originate in the Dow because it appears to be a cross between a grape called Alfrochero, which is in the Dow, or Alfrochero Preto, and a grape called Patora, which is native to the Douro. It's a pretty good sign that it's probably from Portugal, but it certainly Sounds has like been it. in Spain, and there's a lot more there's of it in Spain. a lot Spain. of circumstantial evidence. What we do know about it is that in the vineyard, it is thick-skinned, dark bluish grapes of very small bunches. Actually, interestingly, in Spain, the grapes are more medium-sized, but they're a bit larger in Portugal, the berries. Oh, really? Yes. Always Does that have to do with the weather? Yes. Much warmer in the Dow than sure. in some of these places in Spain. Early budding, mid-ripening, much less productive in Spain, and smaller berries because it's cooler in Spain versus Portugal. Botrytis and mildew are an issue, and 
and it needs cooler climates or at least cooler nights because if it's too hot, you get over-ripening and it's got the problem that many grapes have, which is as it gets riper, the acidity is going to drop right off. So it does best on high altitude sites. Schist is a big deal here. And hillsides. That's Can you where remind me what schist soils are? Yes. So schist is metamorphic rock. Oh, So right. it's minerals. Yes. You can see mica or grains within it. And it's easily split into flakes or so metamorphic schist. rock is rock that started out as one type of rock and then was exposed to pressure. heat and pressure yes. to create a different substance. It starts out as shale or some kind of igneous rock like granite. Higher pressures are going to turn it into schist, which is slightly different from slate, which is similar and related, mm-hmm. but not exactly the same. Okay. And I will tell you, after being in Vigno Verde, where the soil types are the same as here, you have schist and granite and then some hybrids of that, but you really can't taste the difference. The wines from schist versus granite hmm. are much fuller and richer, the ones from granite have very high acidity. Hmm. So there you go. On schist, they're going to be a little richer, more perfumed. The problem for mentia is that it needs a lot of vineyard management. So to get the quality, you have to get it right. You've got to make sure that you don't have that issue with the acidity dropping off. And then you're stuck with only being able to blend it with more acidic grapes to get the acidity back. The goal is to get good tannins, but don't lose the aroma. Don't have the alcohol too high and don't have acidity so high that it's biting, but make sure it's also not gone all the way. It's a real balancing act. So low yields are really important because this can crop really big in the fertile plains. It can be watery and acidic, which is why for a long time people thought this is not a very high quality grape. But again, it has to do with a lot of these grapes, which is if you abuse them, of course, they're not going to be able to do what they need to do. And if you do it right, then you'll be able to make sure that you tame the alcohol, get moderate acidity and these really beautiful aromas. Now, in Portugal, the acidity is actually lower. It's a little more vigorous. So if it's not grown well, it's going to be watery and acidic. But if it's really good, it will be silky and perfumed. The Dow, we'll get to it later, but it's called the Burgundy of Portugal. Why? When Chayan is part of it, it tends to be a lighter style wine with really nice acidity. All the things I just described. Again, winemaking, you got to be really careful about picking decision and site selection. They have found that native yeast is really good for bringing out aroma in the scrape. Smaller yields are essential. Oak has to be used judiciously because if you use it, it can overwhelm the scrape because it's all about the perfume. A lot of people don't even use it. I was going to say, do they use it at all? Not all the time. Yeah, okay. No. Some people are actually experimenting with carbonic maceration, Beaujolais Nouveau style, Mm -hmm. to try to keep the fruit and reduce tannins. What are your thoughts on that? Good idea? I'm usually not a fan of uh, carbonic. Right. Yeah, it just it introduces off flavors that I don't think are... I, I don't think it's a great idea. Okay. So the wine, and we are drinking actually one of the best examples of it, at least on the lower end of it, from Descendientes de J. Palacios, which is from Bierso, and we'll talk about this producer in a minute. But it is earthy. It has some tannin, but not too much. Mm-hmm. Stony. Red fruit, black fruit. It's almost like if you merged a Merlot and a 
Pinot. Yeah, it's in that lighter style, yes, but still yes, with a but lot still of flavor. With like pretty. Some, but also, the te- you know, I'm more of a texture person. Yeah. And it, it's still really silky and smooth. It's got a great finish to it, too. Yeah, they can be early drinking, or they can be like this, which has more oomph. They're definitely not, if they're made well, not pale or light or astringent. But the acidity has to be there. Lightness plus dark fruit, earth. And I really get the stony, seems like rocks or something like that. Mm-hmm. that. That's really nice in a red. You just don't find that a ton. Some are more like black pepper, but usually it's this minerality. I, I know it's a very vague term, but you like it, right? I do like it. Yes, very much. This is an excellent example. Pretty much top of the line for affordable beer. So okay. because it can go... Top of the bottom is what you... But yeah, top okay, of the bottom. Yeah. Top of the bottom. Yes. When we talk about where this wine is from, Galicia in northwestern Spain... Ribiero, which we're not going to cover because it's very small. Valdoras, Monterrey, Ribera Sacra. Those are different from the main region. Bierzo is in Castilla y León, which is dry and warm, a little bit warmer. And then in Portugal, as I already mentioned, it's really cultivated in the Dow. My impression is that that this is sad how ignorant I am because I've been all over Europe, except for Spain. Is Spain, my impression is that Spain's very hot. That if you were comparing the climate of Spain to Portugal, Portugal being right on the Atlantic is going to have more of that maritime influence. And well, it's Spain have is cooler. also, but and, Spain is right, also right on the Atlantic. Yeah, but, but Portugal's in the way. No, it isn't. <laughs> Not up near Riachuecha. One little corner. Well, but, no, and then you have the whole coast all along the okay. north side on yeah. the Bay of Biscay. So all of the regions that are in northern Spain are getting influence from the Atlantic. And it does go in as far as a little bit of Bierzo. Castillon tends to be very hot. Mm-hmm. Rioja, Navarra. The places in the Basque country mm-hmm. are cool. There's two reasons for that. One, you have the Sierra Cantabria. You have the mountain ranges and a bunch of other mountain ranges. You know, it's not flat at all in Spain. The no, middle section, the Meseta, I think it's the Meseta Central, the, the middle area is elevated and it is dry. It's high at elevation, though. So the nights are cold, even though it's a plateau and mm-hmm. it is hot during the day. At night, the temperatures are going to drop. Plus, you have a lot of rivers running through Spain. That's going to add to airflow and differences in temperature. Right. But in the northern portion of Spain, especially where we're talking about in Galicia, Rias Baixas, if you think about, which is on the coast, mm-hmm. we're talking about actually cooler than where the Dow is, for mm. instance which is also surrounded by mountains and and has all of those influences. But Spain has a lot of hot days and cool nights. Now, when I start to describe some of the places to you, you're going to be floored by what is here because the elevations and the slopes are so dramatic that it's amazing people even do viticulture in some of the areas here. It's based off of tradition. I don't think anybody would even think to do it now. Well, I know that there are many plains there where it does rain. Ha, ha, ha. Very funny, my fair lady. Mm. All right, so let's talk about Bierzo or Bierzo. Bierzo is a Dio, Denominación de Origen Protegida, this is uh, 23 municipalities just northwest in Castilla Leon. It's in the Leon area of Castilla Leon. It's sort of shaped like a horseshoe that faces south. 
great for viticulture mm-hmm. because at this latitude, you're definitely going to need to face south. It's on the border of where Castilion meets Galicia, which is where you're going to find a lot of the other regions for this grape. So there's some small valleys in Alto Bierzo, which is in the mountainous area, and then there's some wide, flat plains, which you should be thinking right now, hmm... We talked about some flavorless, watery, acidic grapes for bulk production, mm-hmm. wide, flat plains in Bajo Bierzo. Just to give some context, and I'll do this for all the regions, Pliny, my guy, Pliny the Elder. The Elder? Yeah. Yeah, of course. This was the pre-Roman, before-Roman city of Burgidum, and the Romans introduced Vitus vinifera here. The Romans actually dug in this area and in others right in this region, dug into the clay mountains, Mm -hmm. and they made the largest open pit gold mine in the Roman Empire. The Romans struck their first gold coins in the empire from this place. And now today, yeah, today it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So there you go. The Sill River was and is very important to agriculture and civilization, which, again, is how the Romans arrived here. They came on the river. There was viticulture here along with a lot of other things, but the monasteries took over. So in the 800s, you have the pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela to go visit the bones of St. James, Santiago. Cistercians in the 800s decided that they were going to settle on St. James Way and they planted and used mencia for hillside viticulture. Hmm. The wines were made here for at least 10 centuries. Holy cow. Yes. A millennium. That's incredible. It had a great reputation until Phylloxera at the end of the 1800s. People started leaving, and then the only thing that was left was bulk wine, and most of the wine was grown on the plains because it was easy to do. It was everyday wine. It was huge yields. There was no nuance. It was dismissed by the Spanish as a bulk wine region. Nobody was interested. Then in 1989, it got its Dio. And around that time, Alvaro Palacios, who was one of the five who helped revive Priorat. Right. He traveled Spain and he was actually selling French barriques to winemakers. And it was really a chance for him to rediscover regions. And in 1990, they had already invested in Priorat and had achieved a lot of fame with La Ermita and Finca Dolfi. But Bierzo was next for Palacios. So he brought a lot of recognition to the region with the wine that we are drinking. This is one of the line, Descendientes de J. Palacios, founded by him and his nephew, who finished his enological studies, and then Alvaro said, hey, Ricardo, you have to come from Bordeaux. He worked harvest at Chateau Margaux. He had a lot of really great experience, worked for Petrus and Chateau Trottenoy. Alvaro said, come buy into this project with me in Bierzo. Ricardo did it, and they set up in a town called Curion, which is on Bierzo's western border, old vineyards, really steep hillsides, old schist soils, lots of diversity, and they made crew, which are reminiscent of Burgundy. And since then, it has encouraged a lot of people not just to improve, but the thought is that eventually Bierzo may become like Priorat with some time. It has a very unique microclimate because of what you asked about. So you have a mild climate, there's humidity, The best parts are elevation, so it's somewhat mountainous. There is some distance from the Atlantic Ocean, but because it is close enough, it's going to be a lot 
cooler here than other parts of Castilla y León. It's hotter and drier than Galicia, so you have richer wines than what you're going to have when we talk about some of the other areas that are in Galicia. Okay. Remember I talked about the Sierra Cantabria? Yeah. So in the north, those are going to give a rain shadow. Okay. So you won't get walloped by the bad weather from the Bay of Biscay, which is up north. The grapes are going to ripen reliably. It's kind of a continental climate with some maritime influence. What's here, a lot of it is unirrigated old bush vines. There's a lot of fragmented parcels, small holders, lots of different soil types. Why, was there like a Napoleonic? Yes. Okay. Yes, the Napoleonic Code, thousands of parcels. And then what happened is that in Spain, there's a lot of absentee owners, and they won't sell because in Spain, there is a stigma against selling your property. So if you sell land, it smacks of financial desperation. Oh, so they keep it, huh. even though they're not caring for it. Right. Bierzo's co-ops were, and still are, very important. They actually served a very important purpose because they preserved the old vines for a long time. They pulled grapes and people got paid. So those vineyards exist today and now... More skilled people can farm and tend those vineyards and make better wines out of them. So it, the co-ops were essential here. It would just be good if more of those absentee owners would sell their stuff so people could improve the vineyards. But it is what it is. There's a base of clay in some spots. Mencia really needs well-drained soils. Interestingly, it's hot here, but you don't have to irrigate, especially with clay, is going to hold water. In Bierzo Alto, high Bierzo, it's mineral-rich, it's mountainous, it's rocky and terraced. It's on very high and steep slopes that overlook the Sill River. They have to use mules. They have to hand harvest granite and slate and schist, dark soils, almost no lime, no limestone, really acidic soils because of granite, very minerally wine, lighter, more acidic, a lot of flavor. And then you have the plain. You have Bierzo Bajo, Lo Bierzo with alluvial soils and loam, which is usually not what you want to hear when you're thinking high-quality wines. Right. Although some high-quality wines can grow on alluvial soils. We'll take a step away from the podcast to thank our sponsors this week. First, Wine Access Wine, A-C-C-E-S-S dot com slash WFMP is how you will get to my page of the wines that I am loving and drinking right now. And on your first order, you're going to get 10% off when you go to my special URL, wineaccess.com slash WFMP or wineaccess.com slash normal to join the wine club. I love Wine Access. Excellent customer service and never settled guarantee, but the wines are so fantastic. They've got a team of credentialed wine experts, the best in the business that are going to surprise you and they're going to over deliver every single time. They are able to give you wines that you can't find anywhere else. You're going to go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP. Go on my page. Look at all these beautiful wines. It is absolutely worth it to sign up for the Wine Access emails, to go on my page and see the selections and to sign up for the wine club where, of course, you'll get 10% off anything you buy on their site as long as you are a member of the wine club. Wineaccess.com slash WFMP or wineaccess.com slash normal. Join the wine club. Get these fantastic wines. The rave reviews that I've gotten on wine club wines are just unparalleled. You've got to check it out today. 
Don't miss out on this. Wineaccess.com slash WFMP, wineaccess.com slash normal. Let's also thank our patrons on Patreon. If you had been a patron this week, you would have gotten a private wine tasting of those Wine Access wines. Patreon is a patron of the arts model. Without patrons, we can't continue to do the podcast. It is not expensive to join, but every little bit helps us keep the podcast going. The podcast is not free, although it appears to be. It does take a lot of production time. And in order to do that and give you a show every week, we need both Wine Access and the patrons. If you are interested in keeping this show going, go to patreon.com slash wine for normal people, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash wine for normal people. And there are new classes posted right now, Getting Better Wines from California is live. And if you're a UK or EU listener, the Wines of Tuscany is happening after I get back from Tuscany. That is a daytime class on a Saturday for Americans and evening for EU and UK. And you can find and sign up for all of those classes for just $30 a person at winefornormalpeople.com slash classes. And now let's get back to this awesome show on Mencia. More than 75% of what is grown in Bierzo is Mencia, and the rest is Godello and Doña Blanca white grapes. There's about 3,000 acres of Mencia here. 80% of that is old vine, 50 plus years, hmm. 77 wineries, half of those export. And the wines can be blended with Alicante Boucher or Garnacha Tintorera, which is only 2% of plantings. A lot of times it's 100% Mentia. Fruity, intense wines. Some of them will be 85%, which is the law, with a couple of other local authorized varieties, mm -hmm. but they really are mainly Mentia. You can do in this area Crianza, which is a minimum of six months in oak, plus 18 months in bottle, so for two years of aging. Reserva, a minimum of 12 months in oak barrels plus 24 in bottle. You won't see this a whole lot because like we talked about, oak is a dicey thing. With Obviously, it's American toasted, right? Well, actually, it probably would be because what? they- really? Th yeah, in Spain, they use a lot of American oak. Oh. Here, though, it probably would be French barriques because of the delicacy, the lightness, and the fragrance of this wine. You really don't want to destroy it. And American oak can be a little more overpowering. But they, they have a grand... Well, no, I mean, it works really well for Tempranillo. It's perfect for Rioja. And it even works well for Monastrell. There's a lot of grapes yeah, where American oak can do really well. That's the the tannins. This doesn't feel like it's got... It's no, it's not enough. a tannic wine. No, no, it's not a tannic wine at all. But American oak can actually be a real asset to a lot of grapes. It just needs to be minded, right? You need to make sure that you don't toast it too much. But it can actually help out the flavor profile of a lot of things. I would hmm. not poo-poo American oak. It's a tradition in Rioja, really an important tradition in all of the most traditional wines. Like the wine club wine that we had for the Wine Access Wine mm -hmm. for Normal People Wine Club is amazing. It's made with American oak and it's outstanding. And that's a Gran Reserva, which they're also five years of aging. Anyway, right. they also Stand do corrected. make uh, rosé at a 50% Mencia and it hmm. can contain white grapes. Some great wineries to look out for Dominio de Tarez. It was founded in 2000. A lot of these are really young. This is by young locals from Bierzo. Only one of them had any wine experience. This is old Mencia that's grown in the hills. 500,000 bottles. They're one of the biggest in the area. Then you have 
Paishar, which I think that's how you say it, P-A-I-X-A-R, Paishar, also founded in 2000 by Mariano Garcia, who is a former winemaker at Vega Sicilia. Vega Sicilia is one of the most expensive wines from Spain, from Ribera del Duero, very coveted wine, thousands of dollars, and it was founded by Mariano Garcia and Bernardo Luna, and now it's run by their sons. It is mostly slate, 80 to 100-year-old Mentia vines, 9,000 bottles a year. Oh, that's it? That's it. Now, what we're drinking is... $200,000 a bottle. It is expensive. Descendientes de J. Palacios, which is what we're drinking, they... Less than that. Yes. Yeah. So not this particular wine, but they own a a very small plot in the village of Corion, which I mentioned. Everything is biodynamic, all of the farming, high altitude sites at 760 to 900 meters or 2,500 to 3,000 feet. It has been compared to, going back to our podcast from last week, Von Romanese sites, Mm. because they own these very, very small sites they make less than 2,000 bottles a year from these wines that are all over $100 U.S. Montserbal, Las Lamas, and La Faraona is $900 U.S. a bottle. And then there's ones that are more affordable. Via de Corion is $50 U.S. and the one we're drinking is Petalas del Bierzo. This wine was $27. Thank you to the wine feed again in Raleigh. Yeah. Got to give a shout out to them. But this is delicious. I think it drinks like something more expensive than yeah, that. Yeah, well, I'm going to start looking for the Via de Corion, which is 50 US dollars. I think mm-hmm. it's worth a splurge because this wine is so delicious. I don't know what the availability is of those other wines. It's not going to be great, but this wine is made from purchased grapes. So you can imagine if it was from their, the right. stuff that they tended. So all their wines are very terroir-driven. And of course, they are the benchmark producer because they were one of the first. Others, if you're looking, uh, Raul Perez, Castro Ventosa, Bodega del Abad, Gancero, Los Arovinos de Finca. Those are some to look for. So that is Bierzo. That is really synonymous with the Mentia grape. If you get something from Bierzo, it's going to have Mentia in it. Okay. If it's red. What if it's white? If it's white, it will be Godello. Ribera Sacra is the other really big area for this grape. Instead of being in Castilla Leon, we're moving towards the Atlantic. So this is in Galicia. This is really called the secret gem of Spain. It means sacred shore. And I'll tell you why in a second. But the vineyards are on incredibly steep slopes on the valleys and the canyons of the river Minho. The Minho River also runs through Portugal, spelled differently, and the Sil River both flow out of the Cantabrian Mountains on the way to the Atlantic Ocean. There's five subregions within Ribera Sacra, different microclimates. Mostly there's alluvial soils because of these rivers, but slate. You think of slate, you think of spiciness and some distinction. There's a lot of slate in Rheingau. There's a lot of slate in Mosul. Right. It's a little more continental, long summers, cool fall. Lots of rain. The areas near the Minho are rainier and they're a little bit more Atlantic influenced. The Sil areas are more continental and a bit drier. More sunshine than what's in Rias Paixas, for instance. And there can be very strong winds and lower humidity, which is good for grapes. So there's about 1,200 hectares or 2,900 acres of vineyards, 2,900 grape growers, mostly sell to co-ops. Over 3,000 acres, almost 3,000 acres, there are 
2,900 grape growers. Wow. Right? Most of them sell to co-ops. There are 94 of them, co-ops, but there used to only be 17 in 1994. You can imagine the sort of death, how much power the co-ops used to have over people. You didn't have a choice of where you could go. No. This is the Napoleonic Code in full effect. Everyone gets their own vine. It's kind of like that, yeah, though. It's just serious. an acre, yeah. you know? South-facing terraced vineyards. This is the same thing as Alto Bierzo. Very steep. They call this heroic viticulture. And the criteria Hero- for this... Heroic? Yes. Be, and it's actually, there's some criteria for it. You have to have well, these more... People aren't exactly modest, are they? When I tell you, <laughs> the minimum altitude is 500 meters or 1,640 oh, feet. Oh, jeez, okay. The minimum... Slope gradient is 30%. The gradient gradient can be up to 85%. Apparently, these slopes are so high. Like, you can get vertigo. Yeah. Just to put in perspective, when you're driving through the mountains, at least Mm -hmm. in the United States, and you're warned about significant grades, that's 5%. Is it? Yeah. Well, it can be more than that, but yeah, it's pretty bad. That's when you start seeing those. Well, what about what about eighty five percent, which that's, is what it goes up to here? That's 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 a wall. Yes, and these have to be hand harvested. You can only get to some of these sites by the river, so you have to take a boat to harvest some of these sites. You certainly can't have what? any fear of heights. Slate and schist soils with some granite. These are isolated hillsides, just broken stones, incredibly well drained. Great diurnals. If you have eighty five percent slope in sure. some areas. It makes really interesting wines. How the heck did wine get here? It's because the Romans settled the area. And actually, there's an area called Amandi. The Vinos de Amandi were shipped to Rome along with lampreys that were fished out of the Mino River. And they were served at the table of the emperor. The Latin was Robiora Sacrata, sacred oak grove. But then there was a bad translation. They changed it to Ribera Sacra sacred riverside, because there were 18 monasteries and hermitages, not hermitage, because we're not French, hermitages, (laughs) that were founded between the 700s and the 1100s in these river valleys. And that's basically everybody that planted this. Great. Decimated during phylloxera, abandoned, uninhabited, and then people moved back in. The reds are mostly menthia. Ribera Sacra can say barica if it's been in barrel a minimum of six months. So look for that. If you're not looking for anything oaky, you may want to look out for barica. The wines are herbal, raspberry. These are more like bell pepper. They don't always get fully ripe. Lower alcohol levels between 12 and 13.5% alcohol by volume. Medium bodied acidity, soft tannins, and silky. So Raul Perez. And Alguera, those are some producers to look for. The Val de Oras, Dio, is in Galicia also. Very small area, about 4,000 acres or 1,500 hectares of vines. Menthia is different here than in Bierzo and Ribera Sacra. Those are definitely more famous for the Menthia grape. The combination here of Atlantic, continental, and the microclimate of the Sill Valley is going to give cold winters warm summers, mild autumn and spring. This is the warmest region in Galicia. It's drier, fuller wines because it's warmer. It has high altitudes, and here you have black slate soils, which you also find in Priorat, interestingly. Black slate is going to give intense flavors in the Menthia. There'll be 
elegant because that's the nature of benthia. When I say elegant, I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but you're tasting it. You know, it's like this, it's the only amorphous word I'll really use to describe grapes. It really is oh, something lighter. Harkening back to oh my God, the, the last nude. podcast. Yeah, I can't yes. even. You know what I'm saying when I say elegant? Like it's not heavy or lumbering. It's not going to like sit on your tongue. It's got a great balance of floral notes, fruit, herbs, all of that is there, and that winds up making me say that it's elegant. Pinot Noir would be another one that I often call elegant. But So you're saying it's like the Audrey Hepburn of wine. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Really different style in Valdoras between 300 and 700 meters. So that's almost 1,000 feet to almost 2,300 feet. Most vineyards are around 450 meters, which is 1,476 feet. Everything is at elevation. The vineyards are also on the banks of the Sill as it flows from Castillon. Mm -hmm. The landscape is flat or gently rolling, except there are steep slopes on the left bank. On the right bank, there's more gentle slopes in the Sill River. The soil is varied. You have quartzite. You have schist in the narrow river valleys. You have some sandy granite. You've got terraces, southern-facing stuff. Well, wait, 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 wait. Left and right? Which way are we facing? So then? as you're going out towards the Atlantic, uh, okay. then the right bank would be on the north side and the left bank would be on the south side. What you need to look for if you're interested in trying a wine from Valdoras is Valdoras Mencia. It has to say that because then it's at least 85% Mencia. So if you're interested in trying that, make sure you look for that so that you know that you've got apples to apples. I will tell you that this is a very old area because it's a fertile river valley. They found cave paintings and petroglyphs that were from ancient settlers called the Cujuros. It was mentioned, of course, by Pliny. The Roman legions How were here. How did they here. know who the settlers were? They write their name underneath. Yes, the, they did. They did said, they? yeah, they said Hujuros were here. Were here, right? Yeah, oh, was here. Was, <laughs> was here. here. Sorry, right. W and, and it was W U Z. Yes, that's correct. And they carved it in a bench for some reason, and also put like hearts. Yeah, why is the with heart with the arrow yeah. and the initials? Yeah, yeah, definitely said Hujuros were here. Was here. Sorry, was here. It was named the Golden Valley because they took gold from here. Also, mm-hmm. in 940, it was already written about vines in Valdorath. The Cistercian monks were here, and they became really essential to the economy. But then, of course, Phylloxera wiped things out. There was depopulation because of the recession and civil war and yada, yada. So a couple of great producers here, Valdecil Bodegas Palacios is also here, and Avancia. Monterrey is really small. This is also in Galicia. It's more of a bulk wine area, honestly. They make a lot of white wine. Mm-hmm. Seventy, Almost 70% is white. Of the reds that they make, 79% of the red is Menthea. Hmm. It's about 566 hectares, 1,400 acres. Again, very small subzones. There's the valley and then there's the slopes. Where do you think that Menthea does well, given what I've told you? Slopes. Correct. In the Middle Ages, Monterey was really cooking. They had great quality. They compared the wines to the wines of Oporto. Hmm. And they shipped them to the Americas. But then they fell out of favor, immigration, co-ops. The vineyards were abandoned. Basically disappeared until the 1990s. It's on the Duero River. So this is not on the Sill, which the other areas are. And it's on the river valley of the Tamega, which flows into the Duero River, or Doro, eventually. Doro, Doro. right. High altitudes, of course. 
Mediterranean climate, some continental and Atlantic influences hot summer slate and schist. These wines are a little more foresty, earthy, lighter bodied, some interesting stuff. Finally, the last region where you're going to find Menthea mm-hmm. is the Dow. The Dow is one of the oldest established wine regions in Portugal. It's mountainous. It's temperate. It's in north-central Portugal. It's on the rivers Mondego and Dao. Did you go there? I did not. I was so close. Yeah. So Vinho Verde, is re- it's very interesting, actually, when you look at the geography of this. Once you are up there, yeah. like up in that area, right over the mountains, you've got Rias Baixas, I would a stone's throw away from the Spanish border. Right. The Dow is right there, and the Douro is about 30, 40 minute drive. Huh. So it's all right there. It really is very packed in and concentrated right there. I really wanted to go to the Dow. I probably should have tacked on some time there. I just didn't even think about it because it was during the pandemic oh, and things like right, that. Right, right, right. I'm excited you could have to just go back. ridden your scooter over. That was an, oh my God, I'm not talking about this again. Okay, so Tariga Nacional, the famous grape of Port, of Douro, of all of, basically of all of Portugal, is originally from Dao, actually. It originated in Dao. Oh, really? Yes. Huh. But Dao makes wines with Tariga, but they use Chayan a lot in the blend, but there are also a lot of examples of pure Chayan or Medsia, whatever you want to call it. I'm sorry, I keep saying no, going I'm glad back that you forth. do. It helps with the reinforcement. It's on a plateau sheltered three sides by granite mountains. All of the areas, by the way, you'll find this with Vino Verde, you'll find this with Douro. Lots of granite mountains here. They are soaring and really big. They're going to protect from the Atlantic, provide a temperate climate. Altitudes go up to 900 meters, almost 3,000 feet. Rainy, rainy winters. And this is where you have a big Atlantic influence, even though for the most part, you get these long, dry summers. You have granite-based soils. The granite-based soils are going to give great acidity to the wines. And that's what we're liking about this Menthea, is that it has great acidity. Forest floor notes, peppery notes. I always am excited. And we need to buy more Dow because anytime we teach the wines a Portugal class, it's always the first wine I want to drink. It's just delicious. Chayan or Mencia is indigenous to this area. The only difference between here and Berto, which is the main hub, or Ribera Sacra, is that the wines are almost always blended. You can find some 100% Chayan, but a lot of what is here is blended stuff, because that's the Portuguese way. They they do prefer blending oh, really? with everything. Yes, all the huh. reds are usually blends. It really works better for them. For their grapes, it generally works better. This area is recognized as early as 1908 for a really great wine, although they've been making wine for a lot longer than that. Sure. Salazar, who was the dictator, the prime yes. minister dictator in the 1940s, made co-ops mandatory. Hmm. That was to protect all of the workers. But what it wound up doing is ruining wine because there was stagnation. There was no competition, bad wine practices, unhygienic wineries. All the grapes had to be sold to the co-op. In 1979, this mandate was overturned when Portugal applied to the EU. And investment has grown since. So amazing wines. Quinta de Lemos, Quinta da Tabodela. These are some of the more famous ones that do Mencia. Okay. Food pairings. So when you're thinking about this wine, it's a medium-bodied wine. So we don't want to go overboard with things that are too heavy. So it's a little bit tricky to pair things with this. I'm thinking more cured meats, like things that are salty and cured would go really well. Of course, jamon. And then 
on the vegetable side, you can do grilled vegetables, but you don't want to do eggplant or mushrooms. Although a mushroom risotto might be good with this because it will have a balance of the risotto part with mushrooms. So you'll have light and heavy. Barbecue would work well with this, you know, some some of those sweeter flavors, but it can't be overpowering. And you have to check the alcohol, make sure that it's not too high in alcohol. These are generally medium alcohol, 13.5%. So you usually don't have to worry about that. But you want to go for barbecue chicken or pork, nothing like beef or really heavy. There are some earthier and heavy versions. Those would go really well with root vegetables, carrots or potatoes, things like that are going to go pretty well with this wine. But I think this idea of the cured meats, some of the harder cheeses, yes, manchego would probably be pretty good with this. And then you want to go for lighter grilled foods. If you're going vegetarian, grilled zucchini and things like that. Stay away from anything that's a little too heavy. So that is the great mini series for Menthea, Mencia, or Chayan. And I think that the important thing to know is that this grape is just getting good. So you may have heard of this grape before. You may have absolutely no idea what we're talking about, but it is hidden in almost every Spanish wine section. And now that we've told you about it, you will start to see it. My recommendation, I think yours too, would be look for the Descendientes J. Palacios because... Took the word right out of my mouth. Yes. Well, this wine. This one. The Petalos, right? The Petalos. It's spectacular. And I think that this grape is at the beginning of its life. Think about it this way. It had a really big life and then it was rediscovered in the 90s, but not with the fervor that Priorat was discovered with, mm-hmm. right? It was discovered after Priorat, really. A lot of the really great wineries started in the 2000s. We're about 20 years on here. That's this it. Is, That's nothing. Right. But this is usually when we start to see things peak. So go find this wine, especially if you're a lover of Cabernet Franc, of Gamay, of Pinot. These grapes are in this kind of this, milieu, This sort right? of sits in between all of that. It's fruity, but not necessarily fruit forward. I feel like it's going to be more fruity or more fruit forward than it actually is. Can it be fruity, but not fruit forward? Yes, because there's so much other stuff here. Right. I just think about the mineraliness. I feel like it really smacks of that schisty granite Mm -hmm. type thing, too. It's funny because there's been a lot of controversy in the wine world about schist soils and whether or not they make a difference. And they do. All you need to do is taste it. I think the exercise is better with whites than reds because you can really tell. But if you line up a white granite versus schist, Mm -hmm. there's an enormous difference. The schist wines are much less acidic. They're rounder. They're softer. They're still acidic, but they've got, they have this sort of twang to them. And I find that in here too. I feel like this is very typical of schist oils. And you will see schist again. You'll see slate, but you'll also see schist in pre-rot. Mm-hmm. I think that Menthea, in the fact that it is not a heavy wine or a real ball buster of a wine, mm-hmm. makes it, I think it's very complex, frankly. I think it's it got is. a lot going on. It so, does. Check it out would be my advice. Complex yet approachable. Complex. And still like very sensual and sexy. Ridiculous from last week. You'd have to listen to the podcast to know what the hell we're talking about. I highly recommend that you do that. uh, Everyone's doing that anyway. So you don't even need to say that. All right. Bierso is absolutely worth it for your first taste of Benthea. 
And there are a lot of different ones to try. Try this wine, try this grape. It is worthy of a great miniseries, obviously, because of the historical value of the wine and also just the amazing flavors. So in the Northern Hemisphere, as we're moving into springtime, mm-hmm. we need to weight. get some more of yeah, this Yeah, perfect sure. weight. This is also a wine that you can put in the fridge. So a little bit of a chill on this because it's not a heavy wine, a really nice summertime red. That is Menthea. We have checked off another one on the great mini series. And with that, this has been another episode of Wine for Normal People. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>